Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. So this is a little longer service than normal, having EOE um, here speaking, and so I promise I'm going to be quick, but I do get paid to do this, so I have to say something. <laughs> but again, like Vonda said, if you want to meet them, you can do that in our guest gathering area. I know that Vonda and Steve would love to meet you after the service. We are in this series that I'm calling Missions Month, where every August in the foreseeable future, we're going to focus as a church on missions. What does it mean for us as a church to be a church that cares about missions, local missions, global missions? What does it mean for us as the church of Jesus Christ to be engaged in missions? And, and so we're unpacking and kind of taking a deep dive into this, what we commonly know as the Great Commission. And so I encourage you last week to memorize some verses, and, and I encourage you parents to teach your kids to memorize one verse, verse 19. And so if you don't have it memorized, that, that's fine. I, I pray and encourage you to try to do that by the end of this series, but I want to see how well you've done. So we're going to say these verses together, and if you have to look at the screen, that's okay. But here we go. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18 and then 19 and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. Very good. Most of you looked at the screen. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, So last week we focused on you know, really one word. What, this one word was go. What does it mean to go? What does it mean for us as a church to be sent out into the world, to, to make disciples? And we learn that it, it may cost you something and that you may lose your life. And that doesn't mean physical death, but what it means is you may have to give up on the American dream. Uh, if we are surrendering our lives to Jesus, if He's the Lord of our lives, then we will go wherever He tells us to go. And that may cost us something in our lives. And today... I want to just take, go a couple of words later in this, in this passage on what Jesus says about making disciples. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So what does it mean for us as the church to make disciples? And for us to make disciples, we first have to know what it means to be a disciple, right? Like, that's who we are. If you're in this room and you are a Christian, and you are in Christ, then you are a disciple of Jesus. And To be a disciple, simply put, is just a student. You're a a learner. In fact, one of the best translations they have from the Greek text is apprentice. So we are apprentices of Jesus, you could say. It means that we sit, or to be a disciple in general, means that we sit under the teaching of someone who has something to teach, something who has knowledge and wisdom and, and something to offer, someone with influence. This is what it means for us to be a disciple. We are instructed in the teacher's ways of thinking. And by the way, the, the, I, this idea of a disciple wasn't introduced when Jesus established his ministry. In fact, discipleship goes all the way back even before first century Israel when Jesus was even alive. The, the Jewish teachers, they were rabbis. They were known to have many disciples under them. In fact, it goes even further before them. In Greek philosophy, people like philosophers like Plato or Aristotle or Socrates, those names that you know in Greek philosophy, They were known to have many 
disciples under them. In fact, if you go to uh, historical literature and you read about them, it, it says that often when they were seen in public, they would have a flock of people following them. They were their disciples. They were often surrounded by those who were known as their apprentices. Which, by the way, Greek philosophy or first century Israel in the days of Jesus and the Jewish uh, rabbis, to be a disciple was not like it was an open invitation. This wasn't an all-inclusive. If you wanted to be a disciple of a, of a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, you could just get in line and sign up. It wasn't like that. It wasn't a, an open invitation for people to just join. And we often think, when we think about the, uh, the early disciples, mainly people like Peter or James or John or Andrew, they were fishermen. We might be often, we might be uh, quickly to think that they, they wanted to be fishermen. But that was just the, their chosen profession. And, and commonly in that day, it was uh, likely that men especially, young men, would become what their fathers were. But it's not always the case that that's what they wanted to do. Not everybody just wanted to be fishermen. In fact, when you go back to the day of Jesus, when these young Jewish boys and girls were raised, they would start memorizing Scripture as young as age five. As young as age five. In fact, the education system was so prestigious, it was so rigorous in Jesus' day that there were at, at certain points, some Jewish kids would, would be cut off and, and only certain ones would advance to the next level. And by age of 11, some of these Jewish kids would have the Torah memorized, which is Jewish law, the first five books of the Bible, if you can see this, 11-year-old kids would have that memorized. Parents, I'm just asking you to teach your kids to memorize one verse. And I'm just encouraging all of us to memorize three verses, not five books. But kids being raised in Jesus' day, by age 11 sometimes, could have the first five books of the Bible memorized. And so only a handful, a very select few people would, would get asked to go to that next stage of, of their education, and the others would kind of be put in another stage of the education where they would begin to start learning a trade at a young age. But only a select few were chosen to be disciples of the Jewish rabbis. And, and Jewish kids, this was a big deal. They wanted to be disciples of these Jewish teachers. They were the ones who knew the Scriptures. They were the ones who were close to God. They were the ones who had the authority to teach the Scriptures. And so the young kids wanted to be under their teaching. They wanted to be their disciples, but only a few got to go to, to be on that level. And so discipleship in first century Israel, it was a very exclusive program. Only the elite were a part of it. Only the elite got to be invited to it. When I was in eighth grade, I, I played basketball. And we went undefeated uh, both seventh and eighth grade. We never lost a game. We were like 40-0. and 0, and, and when I was in eighth grade, we, we played a team. And we beat them by 85 points. 85 points. Who does that? Our coach got in trouble by the district for, for just destroying them. And In fact, I'll never forget, uh, they, they only had five players and one of them fouled out the last two minutes of the game. We still scored on them. Our coach got in trouble, but the reason we were so good is because we had five starters. We had ten players on our team, five starters, and our five starters were really good. They were there both seventh and eighth grade. And I believe that's why we were so good is because those five starters were so good. Well, I get to school one morning early, and so I decide I want to go down to the gym to see the seventh graders practice. And so to my surprise, when I get down there, I see those five starters on our team, on my eighth grade team. They're scrimmaging the seventh graders. And I'm thinking, well, hold on. I didn't get invited. 
why I should be there. I'm on the team. I should be there. Now, this wasn't, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. It might surprise you. I was in junior high longer than just a few years ago. We didn't have cell phones back then. Um, so texting wasn't, you know, we weren't texting. And so it, it, it was a shock to me that I wasn't on the court. I should have been there. I was on the team. And only those five were there, and the other five, including me, weren't. And, and so it hurt. You know, why, why didn't I get invited to play? Why wasn't I included? Am I not good enough to, to scrimmage with the seventh graders? I mean, these are the things that I thought, and, and, it, and it quite honestly hurt me. It, it was a disappointment. Why wasn't I included? Why didn't I get invited? It really hurt me. To be invited is to be included. To be invited is to be included. And oftentimes we don't get invited to things or chosen for things. Uh, sometimes for maybe it's a certain skill that we don't have and that's why you weren't included in, in maybe the building project or whatever it is. You weren't invited because you don't have that certain skill set or maybe it's your intelligence. You know, Someone didn't pick you because you didn't get a high enough grade or maybe it's your quality of life. You're not healthy enough to, to be a part of this you know, hike or, or whatever. Maybe it's your personality. People just don't like your personality and that's why you aren't chosen for certain things and that's why you weren't invited to certain things. Makes you feel like you're not part of the group, doesn't it? To not get invited, to not be chosen for something, it makes you feel like you're not a part of the group. I want to tell you that discipleship in Jesus' day was a big deal. It was an extremely big deal and it was highly exclusive. Just like birthday parties in junior high school. Birthday parties in junior high school were highly exclusive. And this is the age when kids are becoming teenagers, which means everybody is ruthless to one another. But the peak of junior high is, did you get invited to the popular kid's birthday party? And that's all people talked about that next week, how the birthday party was, how there was a big pool, and we all got to jump in, and we got to go in the deep end, we didn't have to ask our parents, and we got to jump on the diving board, and they had a slide too, so they had both the diving board and the slide, and they had all-you-could-eat pizza. There was a giant ice chest there with all-you-could-drink soda, and, and I had six Dr. Peppers, and man, and, and then there was a, somebody brought a lion. Like, nobody expected a lion to be there. So all, and then there was a clown, and we pushed the clown in the pool, and it was so cool. Where were you? You missed it. It's a party of all parties for seventh graders. Why weren't you there? Well, I didn't get invited. Nobody invited me. I wasn't there because nobody asked me to be a part of it. I wasn't invited to... To get invited is what? To, to be included. To be, to be invited is to be included. And, and to be included is to feel valued. It's to, it's to feel important. To be included is, is to be seen by people or by someone even. To be invited is to, to be noticed by others. And discipleship in the Jewish nation was, was for the very best. It was for the, the religious elite, the, the most promising but not so with Jesus. Not so with Jesus. You know, Jesus, when He walked to this earth, He didn't come with a checklist. He didn't come up to people saying, I want to know your IQ. I want to set you up with a desk in a corner and I want you to take this test and when I get the results, I'll, then I'll let you know if you've, if you've made it. Then I'll let you know if you're worthy of following me. I want to know your IQ. I want to know your ability to retain information. You know, how well do you memorize Scripture? Do your parents teach you how to memorize Scripture? What's your ability to retain information? How much Scripture do you have memorized? Recite it to me, and then we'll talk. We'll talk about you becoming my disciple. How well do you have the Torah memorized? 
Tell me about your family history. What's, what's your home life like? What are your parents like? Or how often do they teach you about the Scriptures? What's your home life like? Do your parents come to church? How often do your parents bring you to church? Tell me your family history. Go get your report cards. I want to know your grades. If you work hard in school, then maybe you'll work hard being a disciple. Go get your report cards. Now, Jesus didn't come with a checklist. In fact, when Jesus came, He came for fishermen. The guys who were up all night fishing, trying to make a living, most likely had a hard time paying their taxes. They probably were really stinky too. And Jesus Himself approached them. The ones who couldn't possibly even pay their rent, living paycheck to paycheck. There is no economic divide in the kingdom of God. There is no economic divide in the kingdom of God. So Jesus Himself, the Son of God, approached the sweaty, stinky, exhausted fishermen. And you know what He said to them? Line up. I want to see how well you've, you've done this, 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 and this. No, that's not what Jesus said to them. Jesus approached them and said, I want to make you fishers of men. I want to invite you in on something gloriously amazing. Jesus approached the most unlikely of people and He said, I choose you. Jesus approached the most unlikeliest of people and said, I see you. As big as the world is, this carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be the Savior of humanity comes to the fishermen and says, I choose you. Jesus went up to the people who were troublemakers, the people who had a bad rap, you know, the ones with a criminal record. Jesus went up to the tax collectors, the most hated of all Jewish people. And he went up to those people in front of crowds of people and he said, come and follow me. I'm inviting you on something gloriously amazing. Jesus also approached the intellects, the intelligent ones, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, people like Nicodemus, and he invited them in on the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus described and explained to them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He explained to them the kingdom of God. We're talking about the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe. He shows no favoritism. He looks at you in the very seat you're sitting in and says, I invite you in on something gloriously amazing. Jesus is inviting all of us in on the greatest news in the universe. It's not based on the money we make or our family history. He chooses us because He sees us before the foundation of the world. Jesus chose you. And He set you apart. Before the universe existed, God already chose you. And He says, come, follow Me. I.e., go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When I was a senior in high school, we had classes that were... Uh, Normal classes, you know, like government, you're in a government class, but then you also had classes that were called AP government, that's advanced placement, and I was never in advanced placement class at all, ever, in my whole history of, of all history of school, I was never in the AP classes, but there were students who were, so I was in normal government, and there were students who were in AP government. At one point, one of the AP government classes only had three students in it, and so they couldn't have their AP government class unless they wanted to change their schedule. And, and be put in that class. And so they could, because there was not enough students, they couldn't do the AP class. So they joined our normal government class with the AP government class. I really hoped it would continue to be AP government, but it wasn't. It was just normal government. 
And so, but we're in the same class. So the AP students, you know, they, they lowered themselves so they would be in the normal government class with people like me. And, but it was interesting because one of the students in the AP government class, now in the normal government class with me, his name was Scott. And Scott was, I'd known Scott for many, many years. Went to junior high school with him. And, and, and he was a, the class president. And he was always smart. And he was always in the AP classes. And so I was never in a class with him because he was AP and I was regular. But it was interesting. There's no AP now. There, there's no normal. It's just government. And we're now in the same class together. And I became really good friends with Scott that year. And to this day, I have a friendship with him. And, and this is the kingdom of God. This is... This is this, exactly like the kingdom of God. You may be sitting next to someone right now who's more advanced in Christian years than you are. You may not have grown up in church. If you're like me, I wasn't raised in the church. You might be sitting next to someone who was raised in the church their entire lives. Your level of education might be widely different than theirs. The amount of money you make might be vastly different than theirs. But guess what? None of it matters. None of it matters. Jesus came to save the nations. Jesus came to save all peoples. That's what Nations is not countries. Nations is people groups. And we're going to explore that deeper on a deeper level next week. But Jesus came for all people. There is no economic divide in the kingdom of God. And nobody in the kingdom of God is more valued than the next. God shows no favoritism. You have been chosen by God and set apart to make disciples of all the nations. No matter how you've ever been treated in the past in the church, somebody ever in your life, inside the church or outside, ever wronged you, the fact still remains that God of the universe has chosen you. And nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can take that away from you, no matter how you've been treated in your life, inside or outside of the church. The one who established the church himself has chosen you. And he's chosen me to go and make disciples of all the nations. So we are included in this gloriously amazing task of making disciples of all the nations. We have been chosen. Go therefore, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So here's something that sets us apart as Christians. Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are many different religions throughout the world. And there's even more gods throughout the entire world that are being worshipped right now. Millions upon millions of different gods are being worshipped in our world right now. What sets us apart in Christianity, what's distinct about our religion, is that every follower of Jesus, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, Whatever the background is of, of ethnic or cultural background, family history is, ethnicity, education, career path, what sets us apart is we identify with our God. We identify ourselves with our God in a unique way. Through baptism, we have been cleansed, we have been washed clean, we have been restored by the blood of the Lamb. That's what sets us apart. The Creator of the universe has called us into relationship with Him, and we identify ourselves with Him through baptism. To be a follower of Jesus and not be baptized is to live in direct disobedience to Jesus. Every follower of Christ should be a baptized follower of Christ. This is obedience to Christ. So to not be baptized is to 
to live in disobedience to Jesus. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse yourself into water. This is what we do as Christians through water baptism. We are identifying ourselves with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. We are putting to death our old lives. Our sinful nature is being put to death. We identify with Jesus in His death. Secondly, Jesus was buried in a tomb for three days. We are going underwater, not for three days, just for a couple of seconds. But we are identifying ourselves with Jesus in His burial. And then thirdly, we are identifying with Jesus through resurrection life. Jesus rose from the dead. He walked out of the tomb on the third day, defeated death, defeated Hades for all time. And when we come out of that water, we are being raised to resurrection and life. And here's what it means to be baptized, to be immersed in water. When you come out of that water, the Bible says you are a brand new person. Despite what anybody else thinks, the God of the universe says that we are a new creation. We have been washed clean by the sacrifice of the Lamb and His blood shed on the cross. That's what makes us a brand new person. During the ministry of John the Baptist, he would use words like repent and be baptized. And Jesus used similar language when He started His ministry. Jesus would use language like repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repentance precedes baptism. We are sinners who are far from a holy God. And what unites us with Christ is baptism in Christ. Repentance of sins. We cannot do it on our own. This means turning away from your life of sin. Which means renouncing your own dependence on yourself, your family heritage, your own personal righteousness. All these things will not matter at the end of your life. You know what will matter at the end of your life? It won't be the money you made or what you left your children or the impact you made on the world. Even what will matter most, and those things matter, what will matter most at the end of your life is did you trust Jesus as your life? Did you trust Jesus as your life? Who better to follow than the one who leads by example? Look at what Jesus says when He came to John the Baptist to be baptized. Matthew 3. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and He saw the Spirit of God descending on Him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. When we are baptized, we are uniting ourselves and our lives with Jesus through faith by baptism in Him. This is biblical. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus means we are baptized. And at that moment, this is what's incredible, at that moment, God the Father looks at us, you and me, and says, this is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. And you know, I hope that you haven't forgotten that. I hope that you have not forgotten how well pleased God has been with you. At your moment of surrendering to Jesus through baptism, the God of the universe looked upon you and said, this is my daughter. This is my son. We're talking about the God who is seated upon a throne being worshipped by multitudes of angels nonstop. In a moment of history at your baptism, 
that same God looks upon you and says, this is my son or my daughter with whom I am well pleased. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. As you sit in this room, your heavenly Father is so pleased with the decision that you have made to surrender your life to Him. You know, I worked for a pool company. This is the best way I can illustrate what happens in baptism. I worked for a pool company for 10 years. I just cleaned pools. I, I walked up and approached some very, very, very green and very, very dirty, yucky, smelled horrible, algae-filled pools. And homeowners would always ask me, what do I do? How am I going to get this to where I can swim in it? People are calling us the day before Labor Day with a green pool. It's like, why would you do that? Expect to use it the next day. That's besides the point. I walked up to pools that looked like that all the time. And people would be like, what do I do? How do I get it to where it's pristine and clear and swimmable like that? And the easiest way to, to convince them that we could actually do it, maybe not in a day, is go to the next slide. You use chlorine shock. You use a bunch of chlorine shock. If we were to come up to a pool that was green and nasty and disgusting and people are asking how in the world can we get it to where it's pristine, clear, and swimmable, I would always say we need to dump a bunch of shock in it and leave the pool running. And within a day, sometimes two, that pool would look pristine, clear, and swimmable. Well, I want to tell you that's exactly what happens in our baptism. Before we come to Christ, we are dirty and yucky because of our sin and our self-reliance and and we are hopeless, but when we turn to Jesus through repentance of sin and faith in Him and are baptized, when we come out of that water, we are the pristine, clear, and swimmable pool. We are wiped clean. All of our sins washed away for all of eternity. We come out of that water a brand new, squeaky clean person. That's what the Bible says what happens when we are baptized. We're a new creation. Old, algae-filled, green, yucky pool, baptism, clear, pristine, swimmable pool. That's you, that's me. So what does it mean to make disciples? What sets us apart as Christians? It means we, we point people to Jesus by leading them to repentance of sin and faith in Jesus through baptism. It's an important part of making disciples. A new beginning as a child of God. But that's not it. That's not all Jesus says about making disciples. He goes on, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I just want to say, right out the bat, it is impossible to teach anybody. You think about this. All of the gods worshipped in the world right now, all of the different religions, millions and millions of different gods, and Jesus is commanding us to go to those people and teach them to obey our God. Seems pretty daunting, doesn't it? Almost impossible. And it might actually be impossible. An incredible feat, to say the least. But here's the good news for us. We don't hinge this command on our own innate ability, but rather on the power and supreme authority of King Jesus. And you know why we can be confident that we can accomplish this task? to teach people to observe all that Jesus has commanded us, because Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says at the very end, I will 
always be with you to the end of the age. I want to use an example of the Apostle Paul in Acts 26. The Apostle Paul's standing on trial before King Agrippa. King Agrippa is grandson, the great-grandson rather, of Herod Agrippa, who was the, the guy who tried to have baby Jesus killed. And the Apostle Paul, I have a picture I found, maybe if they can find it, is standing on trial. This man, King Agrippa, is a man of power, of riches, of great influence. He had everything he could have ever wanted. And he's sitting and listening to the plea of Paul the Apostle. An older man at this point, beaten up because he's preaching the Gospel. That's why Paul's on trial. He's, he's preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And right now he's teaching Agrippa all about Jesus and, and the resurrection of Christ. And this is what he says in Acts 26. And Agrippa said to Paul, after he had just told him all about Jesus, in a short time, would you, would you persuade me to be a Christian? In a short time, do you think that you're going to persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who hear. There were crowds of people there. Paul says, I pray to God that not only you, but everyone else here right now would believe either today or in the future, and we would become such as I am except for these chains. Paul is faithful on his end. Paul says confidently, you know what, whether you believe right now or whether you believe later, I'm just praying that you believe. And you know why Paul could be confident? Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always. Authority with us always. Paul was confident, and we can be confident too. Hey, whether you believe right now or later, I'm just praying that you believe, and I'm leaving it up to the sovereignty of Jesus, the one who's in control over all things and has authority over all things. And Paul prays that he'll use his explanation of the resurrection of Jesus to lead people to Jesus. Paul was faithful on his end. Which leads us to this. We have to do our part. We, we have to do our part. And here's what I want to say. You can't teach what you don't know. And you can't show what you don't live. You can't teach what you don't know. And you can't show what you don't live. We often get distracted in our lives. Even in a pandemic, we get distracted. There's like 18 million different shows you can watch on Netflix alone. It's easy to get distracted even in a pandemic. Even when the world stops and things slow down, it's still easy to get distracted by whatever, everyday things. And on top of that, there's an enemy, a devil who's prowling around like a roaring lion waiting to devour people like you and me, Christians. He wants to put a stop to what we're doing. And that obviously makes things hard. And the great deception of Christianity is that when we mess up, when we sin, when we fail, when we fall short, then we can't have an impact on the kingdom of God. And that's a lie from the devil himself. And if you think that, you will stay defeated and backed up into a corner. And God can't use you if that's the way you think. But God is gracious. And when we come to Him in repentance, and we walk in that newness of life that Jesus has promised to give us, and not forget that He is always with us, we are content called to continue to be on mission, to go and make disciples of all nations. There's obviously going to be opposition that we're going to face. And so we all do sin. We fall short. We fail. But what matters is how we respond. You can't teach what you don't know and you can't show 
what you don't live. So we need to take God at His word. And we need to realize that He is always with us. Like right now, God is with you. If you are in Christ, God is with you. In fact, He graciously gave His Spirit to live inside you and me. We have to approach discipleship, being followers of Jesus, as a failure. Failure is a part of discipleship. Failure is a part of true, authentic, and real discipleship. Because you want to know what? Discipleship, being a disciple is a student. We are students of Jesus. We are learners. We are constantly learning. And we are constantly growing in Christ. We're growing in our understanding of what it means to know Christ. And so we will fall short. And we will fail. What matters is how we respond. And I do want to say this. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not meant to do it. You're not meant to do it on your own. You are not meant to do it alone. That's when it becomes impossible. This is a family affair. Jesus didn't say to one disciple, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He said to all of His disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is a family affair. We are not meant to make disciples by ourselves and we are not meant to live the Christian life by ourselves. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you out into the world. But you can't teach what you don't know and you can't show what you don't live. So your ability to produce disciples and share Jesus by sharing the gospel, it will be determined by what you put in. And so here's number one. You can't teach what you don't know. Do you know Jesus? Not just believe in Jesus. Not you were once baptized at some point in your life. Not just do you come to church every Sunday. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Do you Know His Word. The primary way you will hear from God in your life is through His Word. You cannot rely just on people and you cannot rely just on Sunday service. I love what it says in Joshua 1 verse 8. It says, This book of the law shall not not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. This is not prosperity. This is not financial prosperity. This is when life gets tough and opposition comes. You are so attached to the living Word of God that you have the courage and the perseverance to break through anything that's trying to keep you down. Do you know Jesus? Do you treasure this Word? Is this your lifeline? How often do you spend in this? This isn't finding a Bible reading plan, checking off boxes and saying you did it. The Bible tells us to hide God's Word in our hearts. To meditate on it day and night. Then you will be prosperous and successful in all that you do. Do you know God? Do you know His Word? Last week I said, for you to be a follower of Jesus meant you had to count the cost. Sometimes that might mean you have to stop watching all the Netflix that you're watching. But seriously, spend a little less time on Netflix and, and a little more time Reading the Word, praying, spending time with Christ, our Savior, and the God who saves. It might mean a little less time scrolling through social media. I have to check myself. Spend less time doing those things and more time getting to know Jesus. Getting to know Him. But you have to decide that for yourself. If you want to make disciples, you will only be able to make disciples and teach people what you know. If you don't know much, It's going to be hard to lead people to Jesus. 
Read His Word. Study it. Hide it in your heart. Spend time memorizing God's Word. And I will promise you, when you get into a conversation with someone, the Word of God will flow through your mouth. And it will just surprise you what can happen. That's number one. You can't teach what you don't know. Number two is you can't show what you don't live. You can't show what you don't live. I would be a hypocrite if I were to stand up here and tell you to go share the Gospel with your neighbors and invite your neighbors to church if I wasn't doing it myself. To be a follower of Jesus means what? It's going to cost you something. To make disciples means you have to go. You have to interact with people. You have to start conversations with people. You have to invite people to your church. You have to invite people into your home. You have to get to know people. You have to extend a loving hand. People can't see Christ if they don't experience Christ. If we just think people are just going to show up to churches, that would be great. But that would be too easy. Jesus didn't say, go therefore, stay in the church building and people will come. He said, go therefore and make disciples. He's sending us out. We have to extend loving hands. Invite your neighbors to your homes. Get to know them and pray for them that God would give them a heart to know Him. And in these precedented times in our history, we cannot compromise the Gospel. We cannot compromise the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot subject ourselves in such a way that we let a pandemic stop us from making disciples. There are avenues we can take, even in a, a slowed down pandemic world. We can still make disciples of all nations. We can't let a pandemic stop us and let that be an excuse to stop us from sharing Jesus. He is the only way to eternal life. And here's the best news of all. Jesus has told us that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Him. No matter what happens, no matter what happens in our nation, especially in the next few months, Jesus has all authority still. Despite what happens in our country and in the world, we are still commissioned by Jesus to make disciples of all the nations. And He will always be with us. Always. He will always be with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always be with us. And God has set you apart and me apart for such a time as this to make disciples of all nations. There is no room for compromise, church. No matter what the government says. No matter if there's talk and rumors about Church doors closing. We do not compromise. The Gospel is alive and is the only thing that saves people. And so we obey Jesus by living godly lives. We obey Jesus by living godly lives. I want to close with a story. We've been given a mandate from the authority of the King of the universe to make disciples of all nations. And that does require us to go to places maybe we've never been. It means we have to pack boxes and spend money and, and rely on God, the providence of God, to go to places where disciples can be made. So, Vonda mentioned earlier that they had gone to the Philippines back in, I think it was 2018, and I got to go with them, and, and uh, it was a big convention there, and there were a lot of people, and, and as you know, Vonda said, Steve continues to fight cancer, and there was a, a, a time when Vonda was diagnosed with cancer, and so there was a time when they both had cancer, but they continued to fight and press on towards the goal to persevere because making disciples is our mission. And so we went to the Philippines and, and I don't know much ASL. In fact, I hardly know any and that's bad on my part. I need to learn. And so I, it was hard for me to communicate in a room that's completely quiet for the most part. So I went. I'd carry some boxes. I'd be some help of some sort. 
Um, I'm not that strong either, so it was like one box at a time, you know, so it took longer. But, uh, but I went, and I got to serve, and I got to help the best way I could. And, and um, so, Vaughn and Steve, many of you know, if you don't, they make these DVDs, and they've been doing this for years, and editing these, and, and producing these DVDs, and, and there's all kinds of different topics and Bible stories that they tell using ASL. They were handing these out. I, I don't know, I don't remember how many we handed out. It was a, a, a lot, like over a thousand, I, I think. And there was a pastor there who was from the Philippines, but another island, and he was there. And, and many of the people there weren't Christians, but we were still handing out all these DVDs. And, and this pastor comes, and he gets these DVDs. Uh, he got a lot. He went back to his island in the Philippines, and, and he shared these DVDs, and he sent Vonda and Steve a picture, or many pictures of their church, and the people that he was teaching, and and raising up about Jesus using these DVDs. And so Vonda and Steve, Expressions of Emmanuel Church, you may not know this or have not realized this, you are a part of this. Disciples of Jesus Christ are being made on the other side of the world, and you are giving towards that end. That matters. That means something. We are giving towards making disciples literally of all nations. The way we give matters, and what we give to matters. A lot of these DVDs have my wife in them. That's why I married her, because she's famous. <laughs> it's a unique thing. ASL is unique. Not many people who are deaf are Christians. There are unique ways, and people are gifted in different ways. But God has gifted all of us to make disciples of all the nations. And I want you to be a part of that. And I was having breakfast with Mark over a month ago, and he said, you know, it's good to think globally, but to act locally. And so we've got to act locally. And that means for you and for me to begin engaging in our neighbors, inviting them over to our homes, letting them see your family and how you pray and how you interact with one another and how you love one another and how a, a man and a wife, how they respond to certain things and, and how other spouses and marriages and people come in and they see how Christ in you, the hope of glory, has changed your family. It doesn't always have to be a verbally explanation of the gospel. People want to see Jesus in you. The question is, will you let people see? And so they're going to sing a song and then we're going to end. And I want to invite anybody who, maybe you came in here and you're just having a difficult time. Life has got you down and, and we want to pray for you and and there's a prayer room where you can be a little more isolated and we'd love to pray for you. And if you're a guest, I want to meet you and we have a gift for you. But let this song just soak in your heart as you worship the Lord. Know that He has called you, that He has chosen you for such a time as this to make disciples of all nations. Love you guys.